What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Good evening, everyone. Jesse and I are here. We're going to have a great show. We're going to be covering all things related to PDA. We'll dive into that. I thought you were going to say, welcome to Making the Shift. Well, I was thinking that our intro and then following it up with that would be a little redundant. But we do it every time. But we time. do it every time. I thought about that, though, with our last episode. I was like, you know, I kind of want to That's switch true. it up a little bit. So Because you're a seeker and you don't like routine. <laughs> You like exciting new things. I always like new things, new <laughs> restaurants, new places to vacation. And new, new ways to open the show. New bottles of wine. <laughs> Especially that. <laughs> so tonight we are talking all about PDA. We are talking all about PDA, which is most people know, I think, as pathological demand avoidance, but the more neurodiversity affirming way to say or affirming way to say it is pervasive, no, pervasive drive for autonomy, not persistent, but oh, you told me persistent. No, no, pervasive the other day. Yeah. So let me, let's just really briefly talk about that. It hasn't even really been a thing in the United States up until honestly, the past two to three years, it really is a thing that um, is really a known thing out in the UK, but this um, topic tonight that you're, that you're, or I shouldn't say tonight, that you're listening to, that you've tuned into the live show with, uh, is probably relatively new to you. Many years ago, so I've been working in the school system for, gosh, quite some time. Like 800 years. (laughs) I'm getting ancient, I'm getting old. Um, There is a manual that's a, a diagnostic criteria manual. Um, it's called the DSM. And so I've been through a couple versions of those. We're currently on DSM-5. Anyway, the previous version, I want to say maybe it was the DSM-4 in 2015, 2016. It, it changed a little bit. And they had added some things and taken some things out in relation to autism. So one of the things that they did was they removed the term Asperger syndrome. They restructured it for different levels. So, you know, level one, which essentially in the DSM-5 was related to those who had fewer supports, essentially Asperger's from the DSM-4 is what they were were going about that. But in the DSM-4, there was autism as a diagnostic criteria, and there was something called PDDNOS, Pervasive Developmental Disorder, not otherwise specified. So when we talk about PDA tonight, this is the structure around that. This is kind of where that came from. So I wanted to give you the back history so that way you kind of have an idea of the where this uh, kind of originated from. PDDNOS was saying, hey, 
um, there's an individual that has some autistic characteristics, but don't quite fit that category of being um, autistic. So that's where the PDD NOS came from. And then, um, you know, fast forward to where we're at today, we have pathological demand avoidance, but as Jesse just said, that just doesn't sound right, right? Does that sit well with you guys? I don't know. I was talking to Jesse about that, and it's like that just sounds so harsh. Pathological demand avoidance. I just the word patho. I mean, they're all negative words, but pathological. But I don't know. I know. I just don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, thanks for making the change. Yeah, we're making the shift. That's it. so. Um, I didn't come up with that. It was. I want to say her name's Emily. Walling, we can put that in the show notes that had really said, you know, a uh, pervasive drive for autonomy Let's sounds more uh, affirming yeah. and really what encompasses uh, a lot of, of, of what PDA um, really encompasses. So we'll, we'll kind of dive into that. It's so interesting because I didn't realize this was such like a hot topic and I hate to even call it a hot topic, but I didn't realize people had so much interest in learning more until it came up. I posted about it. Everyone wanted to talk about it. But this is one of those things that you and I talk about every day. Like this is some a conversation we've had from day one is one of our favorite topics is what drives humans to be motivated. And one of the top three motivators for people is autonomy. So this just really, I feel like segue is really well into that. If you're interested in what we're going to talk about tonight in terms of autonomy you can go back to previous shows where we've talked about um intrinsic motivation yeah, yeah all is, of that. is a really um kind of in our yeah our show titles right i'm um, yeah. trying to do our best to remove the concept of external rewards and then really focusing yeah on intrinsic motivation yeah you're right it's kind of been more talked about lately when i first heard pda I gotta be honest. My um, thought of PDA was like from back in the day. It was like public display of affection, and I was like, "Which you probably how hate. does this relate to what we do with work?" And then I was like, "Oh, that's not the right PDA." So I was thinking as I was posting, I was like, "I bet my friends who just have no aren't in this field have no idea what like why is Jesse talking about PDA? this?" Yeah, you know, it's like you know, there's a lot of acronyms for everything. So let's talk about what it is for those who kind of just want to hear more about that. So it's really this, um, I guess we should talk about what it's not also. So it's not intentional avoidance of demands. It's really that this person, a, a person with PDA, or you could say a PDA -er, is someone who when demands are placed on them, they might avoid them, they might feel resistant. And that is not something that's intentional. That is something that is really coming from a stress response. That's really coming from an underpinning feeling of anxiety and this need to feel in control. And when people put demands on us, then that is us giving up this control. So it really is something that puts them into this stress response and them choosing like they're not choosing to avoid it it's really is the brain coming in to survival mode right absolutely um yeah more and that's for like your ordinary daily demands right or ordinary daily task it's one of those things where um 
where it's like, nope, not going to do that because the body, the brain goes into that fight, flight, or freeze, or fawn mode, right? Survival mode. So um, it's uh, fear and anxiety inducing, but to a much greater extent than what um, your typical person would experience. And so and what um, I've read a lot of, cause I've read a lot about what PDAers say about it is like, it really does feel like this physical feeling taking over and almost like some people will describe it almost as like brain fog, just like completely unable to do something that is being demanded of them. More like I've heard multiple people describe it as like thunder in their brain. Like this, it's such vivid descriptions of how that makes them feel. Right. Yeah. The PDA society, they have a website and they have a tagline for PDA, which is can't help. Won't basically I can't help right now. My brain won't allow me to, I want to help. I just can't. And so what you might see um, is, you know, a particular thing that could be done one night, but the next day or night, it might um, be something where it's a complete no demand avoiding that situation. So for example, you might have a child who brushes their teeth (laughs) one night and then the very next night at all costs, whatever that demand was that was placed on um, on that child for brushing their teeth will be avoided at all costs because of that um, situation of feeling that um, extreme fear. A body's like, can't, I can't help, I can't help it. I am not going to do this. Um, and so that is something um, where when we're looking at PDAers, um, we know that the level of language is, is actually really high on these individuals, right? And so you might see them being able to do what they can to get out of that task. So it's like, you know, no way, not brushing my teeth. Hey, I wanted to tell you about um, Johnny at lunchtime today. So Johnny at lunchtime, he took my lunch belt and it's, you see what oh, I'm saying? That's what I um, used to do to my, <laughs> when I had a personal trainer at the gym. I would just try to distract him from making me work out. Yeah. It's a technique. It's a great technique. So that's the <laughs> technique because, hey, I'm getting myself out of this. Um, I have a student that I work with um, that uh, he... He uh, is a, a PDAer, and so you know, for quite some time, after talking to the family, um, gosh, it would happen maybe once every other week, maybe not as often, where he would um, say he was wanting to go to school, but then on the way to school, he would get, you know, a stomach ache. I can't go to school. I'm sick. I got a stomach ache, and then that became a pattern. Right. And then um, it just became so repetitive of the the fear of the demand of going to school, of being like, I don't want to go to school, I'm not going to school. And that became um, the IEP meeting of how can we help the student so we can best meet the needs. The outcome of that story is actually still going on, but we really set up a structure where the student can work on an online um, type curriculum 
but be in one class throughout the day. That's kind of where we're at. And then we're trying to make um, options, which Jesse and I will talk about ways that we can help. Um, yeah, make let's things go into clear, that. So. Because the point here is, you know, not to like argue with the child and say, no, you're just trying to get out. You know, it's really the complete opposite and very counterintuitive response. Because when people, you know, our kids especially challenge us, it's so hard for us to stop, take a breath, seek to understand and come from a place of compassion. But that's really what's needed here. Because just saying like, nope, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. That is not going to work. It's just going to make things harder for everyone involved. And at the end of the day, that affects negatively affects the child's emotional well-being, which is the most important thing is, is helping them and supporting their emotional well-being. So we've got just a few kind of do's and don'ts for you when working with or communicating with PDAers. So the first one is to avoid using really structured approaches with reward systems. And that really comes down to the fact that reward systems strip people of their autonomy, which is exactly what this person wants and needs, decreases their motivation to do the thing. A reward system is, I want to say like an extreme demand because it's not just do this, it's do if you do this, you can have this, so it becomes like a double whammy. Right, right, right. Absolutely, I think that's a great one. Another one um, that Jesse's really uh, hits home with, and we talk about a lot throughout the episodes, are you know the sensory needs in the sensory environment, and really being aware of that too. Right. So if we say the don't version is don't try to make it really structured, adult-led rewards systems based, the do would be do try to make it child led, really focus on what the child's sensory and emotional needs yep. are, focus on building that connection with the child and building trust with them, because that is what is going to work for this child. It's, it's really about how can I give them as much autonomy as possible. And a lot of the time, like I know people don't like to talk about this, because I think therapists or parents, we like to have structure, we like to have plans. And sometimes it's scary to let our kids be on an equal playing field where they have as much say in what we're going to do as we do. But this really is about like respecting them as a person and giving them autonomy and allowing that means we are relinquishing control over what's going to happen in order to compromise. Absolutely. Autonomy, we talk about so much. So building that opportunity to making one's own decisions with, with things and kind of really working with the way that we can rephrase things. I know that Jesse and I talked about that earlier, a little bit of, you know, rather than making a demand, you can rephrase things. So it gives that individual an opportunity to not feel like there's a demand pushed on them and to where there's an opportunity for it's like an invitation as opposed to a demand. So yep. that leads us into our next do and don't, which is don't use directions and commands and lots of questions. We know that those are very demanding, giving kids directions, giving them commands, asking questions are really high level of demand. We know that, especially if you're an SLP, you've been trained that that is a high level demand is asking kids questions. 
So what you can do instead is use declarative language. And there's probably still people learning kind of what that means. But um, using declarative language is really like inviting, like Chris said, the child to participate as opposed to telling them to participate. And it's also building autonomy because you're not the one coming up with the idea. They're the one coming up with their own idea. So things you can say using declarative language would be like, instead of um, go get the truck, you could say, I wonder where the truck is. Or instead of, you know, go get your backpack, you could say, I'm noticing that you may have forgotten something for school, right? So it's like, I'm wondering, I'm noticing, I'm thinking. So using I statements. So we're talking about what us, what I see, what I notice, what I'm thinking, and that invites that person to come in and then be able to participate in that. I love that. I am going to use that tactic tonight. I'm thinking you're going to use it. <laughs> I'm going to say... Instead of saying, Jesse, can you go cook that lasagna? I'm going to say, I wonder how that lasagna would taste if it was heated up. <laughs> I'm wondering how that lasagna is going to get in my mouth. Yeah. I'm wondering who's going to cook tonight. <laughs> this is good stuff. I love it. I'm noticing that the coffee pot has not been turned on. Yeah. Hey, um, before we get into the next do's and don'ts, there were, um, there's a comment that was about what can we do in regards to the academics? Because the reality is too, academics is pretty much a laundry list of demands throughout the day. And I don't have, I don't know if I have the right or wrong answer, but I just kind of want to speak out loud here and kind of guide you on my thought process. I think this is really where, when it comes to academics, the accommodations and supports page of the IEP really comes into play because we can put things for accommodations such as flexibility with how work is turned in. Sometimes we have projects that are just done one way. It's like, hey, for your final, everybody has to turn in a five-page essay. But if we have a flexible accommodation, it's like, hey, if you want to pick one of these three options to demonstrate your knowledge on what we learned for a semester, then you get your choice. Would you like to make a photo collage? Would you like to make a Google slide presentation? Or would you like to do a written project, a written assignment? I don't want to tell you what to do, but I wanted to know that you have some options. That's and great. Um, yeah. And so that's one idea. The other idea too, is to really be mindful of the sensory accommodations, right? Because in an environment where there are 38 other students and a lot going on with the lights, the projector making noise, the um, fluorescent lights making noise, the birds chirping and the, actually it's funny because our janitor will get out there with his like blower to blow the leaves like during class. And so it's like the accommodations of, you know, having access to noise canceling headphones or wearing loop ears for blocking out um, background sounds, really uh, structuring that environment as well. And um, I think that being mindful of reducing the amount of situations that may induce fear, such as any kind of spoken language activities that are not prepared. Things like popcorn reading, you know, where the teacher's like, uh, all right, 
we're gonna have the uh, we're gonna have Alexis go first, and then Alexis, you're gonna pick on somebody in class to read the next paragraph, and then that person's gonna pick. It's like, oh gosh, everybody hates that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, really putting in an accommodation of, you know, student will get um, advance notice of when they have to speak in class or, um, you know, things of that nature. So that's just me kind of thinking of a variety of ways to help in the academic um, setting. Yeah. And that leads really well into the last do and don't we have, which is don't use time pressure. So PDAs do not do well when we are putting them under a lot of time pressure. So that could be like another accommodation is giving extra time. Right. I think on assignments or tests and things like that. So if we don't want to use time pressure, what we do want to do is we want to allow them to have extra time. And something else that's really important is always giving them an exit strategy. So it's not, you have to go to this rally at school and you have to be there for the next hour. It's, hey, let's check out this rally. If you don't want to go, we can just leave. So it's always letting them know that, you know, participation is optional so that they don't feel like that is some huge demand that's being placed on them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not to venture down um, a different road here, but I just wanted to note every so often um, you, there might be the comment from uh, someone within the academic setting, maybe a teacher or a para or somebody that might say, well, you know what, I can't, uh, we, we can't do that for this student because, you know, it's not fair to the other students or something of that nature, right? The response that is effective to that is by saying, when we allow this this accommodation for this student or these accommodations for this student, you're going to see that this student will shine. You're going to see their true potential, right? That's really the goal is to get everybody's needs met where they're at, not to try to withhold from access to things because of the mentality that, you know, if I do it for this one student, um, then I'll have to do it for all. Because really, um, there's a difference between being equal and being equitable. And that's really kind of the conversation to say, hey, you know what, if we can provide this, we're going to see success. And we're not going to see behaviors pop their little head up and having to tackle a whole new thing uh, with the behavior plan. So I just wanted to make note of that because that tends to be a question that's asked to Jesse and I quite often. Yeah. So we wanted to share a few resources, just leave you with a few resources. And one is a book called PDA by PDAers, and that was suggested by someone on one of my posts. And I started reading that and it's really cool. It's a collection of a bunch of different PDAers all sharing their experiences, super enlightening, talking about kind of how it affects them in day-to-day -day life. And then you had a couple of resources. Yeah, I have another one too there. Uh, I'm just going to go down like one different thing for each person or each of you might have a different platform that you like to use. So YouTube, there's a PDA expert. He's from the UK. He has a book. Um, he was the first one that, um, that I had heard talk about this. Uh, his name's Harry Thompson and he's got some videos that are educational. That's on YouTube. If you're one who enjoys watching videos to learn about these things, then that would be a, a great resource. There's a blog. If you're one that enjoys reading 
versus the video and you would like the context of that with some personal stories it's called me myself and pda and that is the name of that blog if you're one who is a facebook fan and likes to get into the forums see other people talking and interacting there's two um the first one that i haven't explored too much but um heard it was pretty good autism with love and the second one i did explore um, and this individual is quite active. She has a 15-year-old daughter who's a PDA or 17-year-old daughter, um, and she really talks about the differences that she saw with the initial stages of autism, and as her daughter got older, she was like, okay, there's got to be more than what, than what I know now, and did her own journey and has been writing about it. It's called Steph's, so like Stephanie, so short, Steph's Two Girls. That's the name of the Facebook forum. And um, I was just on there actually today. And it's really neat because there's there's a couple blogs that she links to with ideas for the holiday gifts for PDAers mm -hmm. and some strategies and ideas that really get your, your mind thinking about uh, different things, such as not always having to have the gift being open on December 25th mm -hmm. and being flexible by saying, hey, it's... December 20th. If you want to open it now, we're going to, we're going to talk about this or, you know what I mean? So it's really, uh, those are some great resources for. Yeah. Exploring. And we will definitely put all of those in the description and show notes. So if you are looking for those, we will link all of those. So and we're going to put this. Yeah, we're going to exactly. We'll link this and put this in the comments um, and link it directly to not the comments, the show notes. Oh, the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. We hope you learned something new. Can't wait to hear what questions you have. Make sure to let us know because we have a PDA or we are working on scheduling to come on the show. So we want to be able to ask her a lot of questions. So we will definitely post more about this and we can't wait to hear what Jesse, you have. Uh, yes, absolutely. We've got some great things coming up for the next few shows. I can't wait until next time. Stay yeah. cool and be legendary. And happy holidays. Happy holidays. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.